Let's say good morning. <clears throat> Thankful that we all get to come and worship this morning together. And if uh, you remember, Paul has been preaching about the disciplines uh, of, a, of Christian faith, right? Of thankfulness, he preached about one week. Of grace, discipline of grace one week. Today I'm going to talk about the discipline of the church. The two questions arise in my mind when I talk about the church. And it's something I speak about in the membership class as well, which is, and what is the church? And what does the church do? How does it function? So if you would allow me to take a few of your moments and to kind of lead you through some Old Testament scripture up into the church age, which we're currently in, and I'll explain why when I get there. But I started thinking about this when I was in Hebrews. I'm going through Hebrews with um, my Bible study. In verse 1, chapter 1, the uh, author of Hebrews says this, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And I want you guys to understand that God has made it a business of bringing about his glory and his worship. And in the past, he spoke through many ways and many times, through many people, in order to accomplish that. But I, just for the sake, because I don't really often, if you ask my wife, you probably get this, I don't always think about things the way everybody else thinks about them. I always think from a different point of view. So I'm gonna take you along my crazy trail to help you understand what the church is and what it means to be called. God has always been in the business of calling. The story has never changed. God has called, he's asked for his worship and for people to keep their eyes on him, to obey, to repent, to have faith, and so on. This is the same story over and over again, all the way through the scriptures. He has not changed. From the beginning, Adam and Eve were created to worship. They're placed in the garden to work and to keep it, to worship God there. That they will break that and they'll sin. And God starts another way. It's not, it's not that God didn't know all this was going to happen. God ordained it and planned it exactly the way it ought to go. And the way that it has happened up until our lives is exactly the way that it would bring God most glory. Okay? The next one I see that he calls out is Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, he's going to call him. He's going to say, leave your father, leave your land, leave your family, and go to a land I'm going to give you in Genesis 12, 1, 3. He says, go from your country and your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, he tells him, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in all the families of the earth will be blessed. From the beginning, guys, God has desired to bless all nations. He calls people out to do so. He called Abraham. Abraham is soon going to be told that in 400 years after his people live in slavery, they'll be called back to this land. He does through Moses. Moses is called. Moses goes into Egypt and calls these people out, these Israelites out of Egypt to the promise of God, to this land that he had promised him. They're going to see miracles. They're going to see the Red Sea parted. And at Mount Sinai, they're going to create a tabernacle in which to worship God. They're going to see God as a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. They're going to receive the commandments because of their sin. 
And when all that's kind of summed up, this is what Moses writes to them, being called out. In 10, uh, Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13, he says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. It hasn't changed. Does that sound like a commandment in the New Testament that Jesus gives us? He hasn't changed. He's in the business of calling people out, in the business of bringing people to himself and blessing the people around them. And then we're going to see Joshua. And in the end of Moses' life, Moses is going to write down this whole law. He's going to hand it over to Joshua and the elders. And Joshua is going to be, Joshua is going to be commissioned. And this is what God tells him in the first chapter of Joshua, 5 through 8. I will not leave you or forsake you. Right? I'm calling you out. Be strong. Be courageous. We shall cause these people to inherit the land that I swore to the fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according that all is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success." And the story doesn't stop, right? They go in, they have success, they, they conquer a lot of the land, a lot of the people, they divvy it up between the 12 tribes of Israel, and then they're told to continue, continue the conquest, take all that God has told you to give, but they don't. They decide not to, they, start, they intermingle, they break God's commandment, they, they intertwine, intermarry, they worship some of the same gods as these people that they didn't kick out of their land. But God doesn't reject them, what does God do? God raises up judges, right? And this is what it says in Judges chapter 2, 11 through 12. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. And then he's gonna say, this is what he's gonna do about that in chapter 2, Judges. He says, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored around after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked and who obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with that judge, and he saved them from the land or from the hand of the enemies in all the days of that judge. Again and again, God is calling people out, raising people up, calling out. Have faith in me. Worship me. He doesn't give up. He does everything. And though for you, sometimes we look at the Old Testament as this God who is really judging and bringing down wrath upon the people, I see a God who continually is trying to call out his people to have faith and worship him. And it's the people who do what's evil in the sight of God. It's the people who turn their hearts away. But that's just not enough. When Samuel comes on the scene and he's a judge, it says this, and he gives the people another thing, another way, throws something else in their way to draw them close to him. He says in 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 7, when Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the second was Abiah. Uh, they were judges in Beersheba, yet their sons did not walk in the ways, or in his ways, but turned aside after gain. 
They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together. They came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king, a king to judge us, like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel. And when he said, give us, uh, when they said, king, give us a king to judge us, and Samuel prayed to God, to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So God's going to give them kings just like they asked for. And an attempt to draw them close to him, to, an attempt to show them that he is their king. But they will refuse over and over again. I know that the kids are learning about uh, this time in history in Sunday school, right? How many good kings were there? How many bad kings were there? Over and over again, God is raising these people up. It's not the way it should be, but he's doing whatever he can to draw these people close to them. And then we're gonna see as a string of these bad kings and some good kings come along, we're gonna see prophets rise up during all this time, begging people, beseeching people. Thus says the Lord, change, repent, obey God and his commandments. Turn away from false gods. Destroy all those things that are leading you away and come back to me. They will refuse and they will be judged for it, right? They'll be spit out of the land, taken out. And then for about 400 years, there'll be silence. But God is not done. God is gonna do something that he hasn't done yet. It's just seeming like he's done everything. But now he's just going to do everything. He's going to change the game. He's going to send himself. He's going to send his son, Jesus Christ, to come and die for you. But not only is he going to do that, he's going to live in such a way that you'll know how to live. And he's going to say, if you believe in me, I'll take away your sin. And I'll give you life. Don't be like everyone before who's not listened, who's turned away. I'm going to call you out. I want you to say too, I say to my Sunday school too, that you guys understand that when we read the Bible, it looks like there's a prophet, Isaiah, then there's a prophet, Jeremiah, then there's a prophet, Ezekiel, there's all these minor prophets, and it seems like they're lined up one by one, but that's not the case. There were many prophets all around the land of Israel prophesying at the same time, begging these people. God threw everything at it. And now he's going to give his son. And we see John the Baptist come on the scene. He paves the way for this Messiah, telling people to repent and baptize. And then Jesus comes to fulfill this law that was given in the Old Testament, to create a new covenant, to do something altogether new. And you know how he decides to portray that newness in our time? Through the church. What does the church mean? How is it defined we're first going to see the word in Matthew 8, uh, 16, 18, where Jesus is going to tell Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This church is now introduced. This called out ones, these gatherings are now introduced to us. He's going to give the apostles the great commission, right, to go make disciples of all nations, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching everything that I've commanded you. And he says, I'm going to be with you. I'm gonna be with you. And when they don't know what to do, they jump, they're sitting around, they're wondering, well, what do I do now, right? Well, God is spending time with them. And he's like, it's about my time is about up. I'm gonna go. 
And then we jump into Acts. And this is what it says. And while they were staying with him, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, from John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit now, uh, not many days from now. So stay in Jerusalem for a few days. Not many days anyways. And see what happens. So while they had come together, they asked um, the Lord. See, they still haven't gotten it. They still don't get it. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? This kingdom, would you restore it? And he said to them, it's not for you to know. Times are seasons. The Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Do you see what he's changing here? I'm gonna give you something. I gotta go so you can receive it, as you're gonna see in John 14, 15, and 16, right? This Holy Spirit has to come, has to convict, has to teach, has to guide. He's got, I gotta go so that this can come and you can be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. Through the church, right? Because Peter's gonna build his church Right? And what, so they sit there, and when they said these things, and they were looking on, they lift, and he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heavens as he went, behold, two men stood in robes next to them. And he, they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And a great promise from God. In other words, don't just stand around and do nothing. He's going to come, just like you saw him leave. Right now, you have work to do. Go and wait for me. In a few days, I'm going to show you what to do, right? And then we're going to see a flavor of that when we get to chapter two. I just, maybe not to read it. I read, I read a lot of it last time, and maybe that was too much. But in Acts chapter two, we're going to see the coming of the Holy Spirit. They're all gathered around, waiting, just as they were told in Jerusalem. Here comes the Holy Spirit. Right? And it sounds like um, a great multitude, a mighty rushing wind. It had filled an entire house where they were sitting. A divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in tongues and the Spirit gave them utterances. And as they're speaking and as the Spirit comes on and they're learning, like, what is this going on? Some are going to be amazed. Some are going to be perplexed. Some are going to mock Right, some are going to be mock, and they're going to say, "Look at these guys; they're nuts. They're filled with wine. They're drunk." But the promise of the church that was given to Peter is going to begin. Peter's going to stand up with the eleven, and he's going to preach and he's going to say, "These people aren't drunk, because it's only the third hour." But this is what it says in the, in the prophet of Joel: "And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh." And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and young men shall see visions and your old men shall see dreams even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before that day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass with that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
So there's much to say about what he quoted there. I'm not gonna get stuck there, but he prophesies both near and far prophecies and tells them what's about to happen from the time until when Jesus comes again. But in this time, he's gonna stand up and say, they're not drunk. You're being filled with the Holy Spirit just like it was prophesied, just like what was supposed to be said, and whoever calls on the name of the Lord from here on out will be saved. By faith, follow this God. And what happens at the end of this preaching this is, this is what I'm trying to get you. God has made you promises about this church that we are involved in. He's always been calling out people. And this is what happens when we preach the gospel. And this is what Peter says to them in verse 38 of the same chapter. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone and whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, and then so those who received his word and were baptized were then added to that day to them about 3,000 souls. I would say God, what God promised in Matthew 16 is happening. On this rock, I'm gonna build my church. And they do something immediately, right? As we talk about this discipline of the church, what does the church do? What is it? How does it function? Well, it means that you're called out. But I want you to know that God's been calling people out since the beginning of time. And in this time, he chose to call us by those who believe and confess in his name, giving him the Holy Spirit. Now he's going to make known who he is through the church. But we need to know some things about the church to kind of organize that in our heads First of all, what does church mean? And I've been saying it, called out ones. People who gather, assemble, congregate under this Jesus Christ, this one who has called them. You're gonna see here that when he gets up and explains the gospel with the help of the Holy Spirit, what happens? 3,000 are added that day. And they do, they do something immediately. They immediately gather they immediately assemble, right? And it says this about them. In 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles and the teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the proceeds to all as any had need. And the day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And as we develop this idea of what the church is and how it functions, I just want you to understand that you have been called out. If you believe in Jesus Christ today and you're here, you have been called. You have been called uniquely and purposefully, on purpose, from the foundations of the earth. God has planned this for your life. To make known who he is through this gathering. I want you to know, I hope that you would understand how important the church is. I know there's, there's a difference 
some will talk about, and maybe I won't speak to it to a ton today, but there's this, there's this large church, right, this large calling that God's going to do one day and call us all to himself. But in the meantime, what we see in the scriptures is that it was these local gatherings where people rose up and believed and started serving together, just like it says what happens in Acts 2.42. They gathered for the teaching of the word, for the breaking of bread, forgiving those who need, serving one another, praying, praising God. And my hope for you today is that we would rethink, maybe ask God, God, are we doing church for the right reasons? I read a statistics before I came here and preached to you today, and it said, the statistics was, well, what do people believe the church is? Why do you go to church? And 69% of the people said, so they can feel better about themselves. And I, I guess I'm not against people feeling good coming to church, but that's not why we come, ladies and gentlemen. Brothers and sisters of Christ, we come so that Jesus Christ may be magnified, lifted high, and worshiped, that others might worship him. That sin may be laid down. We may humble our hearts before God himself, and we might share each other's burdens. But you cannot do that outside of here. Though there is responsibility outside of here. I didn't talk about that last time, but I'll talk about it this time. And just so, so a little more history before I get there, I want you to know that most of the New Testament was written to local churches. Paul, not in amount of, of verses, but in letters. Paul wrote 13 epistles, and I was reminded that if you believe he uh, wrote Hebrews too, that would be 14. But not knowing the actual author of Hebrews and just not assuming there's 13. And nine of those were written to local churches. And three were written to pastors, Timothy and Titus. But that was in regards to the local church and how it ought to run and be governed with deacons and elders and a congregation. In the New Testament, we see the church is referred to as a bride, as a wife. We see it's referred to as a flock, as vine branches. But, no, but noticeably, I see it was referred to as a body. The church was referred to as a body. And I have three verses here just to kind of get your mind why I think that and why it says that. Romans 12, 4 through 6 says, For as one body, we have many members. And many members uh, do not have all their same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27 says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and the members of one body through many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we are all made to drink of one spirit, guys. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. And he's going to go on and give examples about what that body looks like. How does it function? But we want you to know that he's writing to the, the church in Corinth a local body of believers saying this is the way you ought to function. As you assemble, as you're called out, as you gather and as you worship together, you're a body. You're a body functioning together and there's many members to it and they're, they're gifted by grace in different ways in order to serve that body. Ephesians 4, 11, we'll see that again. 11 through 16 says, and he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. 
for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son and God to mature manhood, to the measure of the statute of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in the deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together and by every joint which is equipped when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I'm going to get to the reason of the promise of what happens when that actually works out. But just to, just to say right now, you guys, you understand that you're called out to be members of this body because you're here. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, to serve and to be a part of a body that lives and breathes and moves. The body is a living organism. I work in the medical field and every part that works together has a significant part. And if it's out of joint or if it's displaced in any way, it doesn't function properly. I gave the example last time. I gave the example again. I only work with bones and joints and ligaments and muscle. So I'll give an example from that. And I've had this happen to me and I've had it happen to other people. I've worked on hundreds of shoulders, but the shoulder often gets dislocated, often in athletes, but in high impact situations where your arm's extended and it pops your bone out of joint. And it feels terrible. It hurts like crazy, particularly if you can't pop it back into the joint. And the more that you pop it out of the joint, the more damage it occurs and the harder it is to put back. Because bodies are fragile. But when we go to fix that, I just want you to kind of maybe grasp the idea of like how complicated and fragile we really are. We go back in there, we, we attach a piece of tissue, it's called the labrum, back to the socket part of the joint. And when we move that tissue, we move it approximately five millimeters. Five. Look at your pinky. I'll show you my pinky. It's about a third of that. About a half sometimes on some pinkies. We move tissue a half millimeter over and then the shoulder is stable again. Isn't that amazing? How fragile it is. We go around all the time catching balls, throwing around people, hitting things. And if you get knocked out of joint just a few millimeters it was all the pain in the world that you can't stand. The body is that fragile. So if one organ decides not to produce insulin, you're a diabetic. Higher, higher chance of infection. And so on and so forth. It affects every organ in the body. Everything that the body does affects the other part. And here's my point to you, that God has called you to be a part of a body, a member of a living organism, and it is actually dependent upon you to be a part of it. The Bible in the New Testament kind of describes the church as, as high commitment. It takes commitment on your part in which to have this thing run the way it ought to. And there's some great promises that we get to at the end in which I want to point out to you. I didn't take enough time last time, but just to get there, 
um, the church, as I give you a list of what it was doing, I want you to remember what it was doing, but then I want to get to why. How, why does it function that way? What is the purpose? So what does it do? It devotes itself to teaching. I think we do a pretty good job of that. We're not a perfect church, but I think we do some things well. But I want us to be praying about how we can do it better. How can we glorify God in the way we're doing things? They fellowship together. They spent time together, talking, learning about one another so they could be praying for one another. They could share each other's burdens. They served one another, edifying one another through the proper use of spiritual gifts. First Peter, Peter's gonna write in, in 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, he says, as each received a gift, use it to serve one another of, as good stewards of God's varied grace who speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves um, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. They participated in the ordinances, in baptism, in the communion. That's Acts 2, 38 through 42. They proclaimed the gospel. They submitted to oneself to the care and authority of biblical elders and deacons. All of it, one body under one head to be completely unified, as it says in Ephesians. To be one. Why? Well, before I get there, just one other thing. When you're part of a body, it's both personal and collaborative. Personally, every one of us have a call from God, a calling from God to follow him and glorify him, right? Here's some verses. Well, and just, just to kind of tie some things together, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So just as much as we're part of this living organism, this body of believers, you have a body God gave you, and it's not yours. It's for him. It was bought with a price to glorify him. 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, as he would say, beloved, I urge you as sojourners, as, as travelers and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Right? This body has sinful passions and it, it desires the world, desires to be bent from God. But God knew our problems, so he sent his son. And he's saying, I urge you to abstain from that. You're new now. You're a new creation. You're part of something altogether new. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You were bought with a price. Abstain from the things that aren't godly. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 say, I therefore, Paul will say, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the manner of the calling in which you received. And you guys have been called. And you have a choice to make. Personally, am I going to walk worthy? of what I've been called to do. With all humility and gentleness, be patient and bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. Are you eager to maintain unity? To be part of a body in which God has given us some amazing promises, guys. I'll just close up here as I, as I close. There's a, there's a bunch more to say. I'm merely scratching the surface because God gave me really one major thing I wanted to preach to you today and tell you is there's some amazing promises and magnificent history that's going on right now. God has chosen to use the church, a local assembly of believers, to let the world know who he is. In fact, Jesus prays for it. 
Jesus prays for it in John 17, 20 through 23. He says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, right? That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world, guys, the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. I don't know, I'll tell you, it's even more crucial. I think the local church is, and a lot of people, just a place to go to feel good about themselves. But I'm telling you, it's altogether more magnificent and more than that. It's more powerful. It was intended to reveal God's glory and that other people would know by the way we love each other that we're his disciples. By the way we become one, that the world would know that he sent, God sent Jesus Christ for us through the church. Ephesians is going to say this in three, and this is one of the greatest promises I think about the local church that it gives. He says, for this reason I bow my knee before the Father, this is Paul praying for them, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? The love that you've experienced by God, by accepting this Jesus Christ, this gospel, is just the tip of the iceberg. It's more. It surpasses knowledge. All based on the gospel. All based on how he came and sacrificed self for you. He's saying now, I'm going to reveal myself by these gatherings and how they love each other, how they respond and look in this world that's depraved and looks for everything else except for God himself. We have an opportunity in the way we love one another and all the one another's that I've listed, if we do those and we don't depart, we don't forsake gathering with one another, sharing each other's burdens, loving one another, forgiving one another, growing, discipline, rebuking, correcting, serving. If we, don't, if we stop doing all those things, we are not accomplishing the thing that God has put us here to do. Personally, you have to follow Christ. Corporately, we have to love each other here. And we have to be unified here that others might know him. I think it is the most magnificent thing. I, I talked to you through the Old Testament because God says in Hebrews that in the Old Testament or in, in the past, God has used many ways at many times to speak. And in this time, he's gonna use us to speak. Does it not blow you away? Do you not remember what I read in the Psalms this morning? David is also blown away. What is man that you are mindful of him? Does it not touch you in any way that God is mindful of you? At least enough to say, God, what would you have me do? How can I serve? How can I become one with this local body of believers? And so, why? One, so I can experience a love that surpasses knowledge. Two, so that the world the world might know 
this God that sent Jesus Christ for us. Paul's going to pray for the Philippian church. And he's going to say this to them. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. And that from God, you guys, we're peculiar people. God has made you new creation, those who have faith in Christ. It's time to be new, to take off your old self, to put on the new. It requires you to actually ask for it, actually pray for it, actually read the scriptures and take it and hide it in your heart and, and believe it. Let's don't go on acting like the world does. Let's not go on acting like nothing's changed. When you know in your heart it actually has changed. And it starts here. This is where you're encouraged. This is where the word of God is preached. This is where we sing songs of praise. And this is where we fellowship. This is where we share each other's burdens. We also do that in small groups. I'm not taking it away from that. I'm not taking it away from all the ministries that you have. But there's something uniquely special about this gathering that God talked about. And you need to know that he creatively and made you and saved you on purpose that others might know him. And in this time, in our time, in 70 or 80 years, whatever breath we have, being part of the local church is in one way that he's going to show the world that he came for it. So how you guys ask yourself, am I coming to church for the right reasons? Am I functioning in the church for the right reasons? Would it be so much to ask if you come to church to feel good about yourself, maybe you should ask a different question. God, I'm gonna go to church to make others feel good about who you are. Do you come to church thinking how you're going to serve? How you're going to love somebody? How you're going to pray for them? Do you pray about the people you might meet? That you might pour into? People are hurting. People are caught in sin. And we're dealing with sin too. Things need to change, guys. Not because God's changed, because we have viewed it differently. This church is important. Other local churches are important. We've sent many out. There's local churches all over the world from this church and from other churches. It's time to rise up. Man, wouldn't it be great just to understand a little bit more how much God loved you? As we serve one another, I pray that you keep that in mind. We're supposed to be unified. We're supposed to be one, serving one another. But God has some great promises that's going to happen through that. So I just thank you for being here this morning. I pray that that would be something that's on your heart. It's definitely on mine. As we discipline ourselves 
through all the disciplines that pastor's gonna preach about, we also have to think about the discipline of the church. How's it function? And what's your part in it? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the church. Thank you for how you designed everything for your glory. And I don't understand it completely, Lord. And there's much I did not say. But for the sake of time, I pray, Lord, that we would touch every one of our hearts and that we would become a, have a better understanding of what the church is and that we would start walking in faith on how we can be a part of the member of this body, how we can serve, how we can make you known. And God, we will watch with great anticipation you working in people's lives, you working in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.